0: Good morning. Thank you for going up just a little bit with the house lights. Thank you. Just so I can see all the bright, smiling faces in the bright, smiling, bright, sunshiny day. Okay. um, What did I I say? I have no idea, right? Okay. So it looks like the second week of the rapture is still in play. So welcome back, those who were gone last weekend, and I hope the second group is having fun time where they are. Um, So uh, I have a perfect sermon to come out of this week that we were just in, which is a holiday week and was fun and all that kind of stuff. So this is, you're going to love this. Just groove right into it. But you're going to have to trust me because we're going to do another one of these close your eyes exercises, which we've been doing a lot of lately. But can I just make the case for visualizing? You do realize that Olympic athletes, that's what they do. The skiers, they visualize the run. Even the swimmers, it's not like the pool changes. But the swimmers are visualizing their swim as before they do it. And the reason why is because it takes you and puts you in the moment. It puts you in the experience, and here's what I don't want to do, and here's what I don't think we should ever be doing in church, just talking, just talking at in particular. I think what we need to be doing is experiencing something together of God and His presence and of His walk and work in our lives. So I want you to do that with me right now. I want you to trust me, and I want you to just close your eyes, and what I want you to do when you close your eyes now is I want you to just think about what's the biggest single problem that you have. Not all the other ones too. I want you to just focus in. Just let one of them bubble up. Maybe it's relational, uh, family, friends, job. Maybe it's health, you or someone else. Maybe it's financial. Maybe it's something else. But just let this one problem, that's sort of the biggest one that's in your life, the biggest issue. Now let it just percolate up to the top. Okay. Now there it is right there in front of you. And you got it, right? Now what I want you to do is I want you to step back and I want you to look at how you feel about it. How anxious are you? How fearful are you? I'm sure that you're working at trusting God, but what percentage would you call it? Are you 20 or 50 or 70? How much are you trusting versus how much are you not trusting? And feel the not trust. Feel the anxiety. Feel the concern. Feel the... You know, what if this doesn't happen, what am I going to do? The uncertainty, feel the thing that gives you some anxiety. You got it? And you're taking note of how you feel about it? Now, with your eyes still closed, what if we could do something today that would cause you to never have any worry, fear, anxiety, concern, anything? To the point that when I ask you what your biggest problem was, this one wouldn't even percolate up, not because it was over with, but because you, ju- you were just at such peace with it. How would you like to have how you feel about it utterly changed today? Go ahead and open your eyes. That's where we're headed today. All right, Tim Coffin, this is a terrific one. I don't know how many people know Tim just because of the way that he... They, 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 you have to get on Facebook and listen to Tim and his wife go back and forth and do their things, and you just, Tim, you are just an incredible guy, okay? So would you just lift up the sermon, lift up another church? This is a rock-solid guy. Get to know him. Uh, dear Father, thank you so much for this morning and just being with us in worship, and um, just being faithful in that, and thank you for bringing us all here and just be faithful to speak uh, through, through Kurt this morning. And I do lift up a breath of life church over in East Wenatchee. Uh, I know my younger brother is over there. And he truthfully is seeking you in a small town. And I just pray that we can continue to go out and seek others who are seeking you and who need you. Uh, in your name, amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I'm still a little tunneled, and I can hear myself quite a bit. Okay, thank you. All right, here's where we are. Almost, I don't... Yeah, thank you. Just almost cut me so that I don't hear myself because then it just distracts. All right, so here we are. What has happened is is that we are in Luke again. We've been taking some time off from it just a few weeks in order to kind of do something else just because it's good to take a break every once in a while. But we're back in our empowered. We're back in Luke. And what's happened is Jesus has been arrested. Peter has denied him. And now he's in the hands of the guards. And the guards do this. uh, Or they do this. The guards in charge of Jesus began mocking and beating him, and they blindfolded him and said, Prophesy to us, who hit you that time? And they they hurled all sorts of terrible insults at him. Now at daybreak, all the elders of the people assembled, including the leading priests and the teachers of the religious law. Jesus was led before this high council, and they said, Tell us, are you the Messiah? But he replied, If I tell you, you won't believe me, and if I ask you a question, you won't answer. But from now on, the Son of Man will be seated in the place of power at God's right hand. So they all shouted, so you're claiming to be the Son of God. And he replied, you say that I am. Why do we need any other witnesses? They said, we ourselves heard him say it. Now, what's the big theme in this passage right here? What's the big, what's the big question, the big moment? What's this all about? What's, what is it? What's it? What's huh? Yeah, that's, that's, what do you do with it? I would go even more fundamental than that. Just boil it down a little bit more. What's the big question that's being asked here? Who is, Jesus? Who is Jesus? That's it right there, right? Who is Jesus? Okay. Now, here's what I want you to see, right? So you're claiming to be the son of God and he's saying that I am. Okay. Now here's what I want us to understand. Okay. Now watch this. This is not just the theme of this passage. This is the theme of all of Luke. Who is Jesus? Not only is it the theme of all of Luke, it's the theme of the whole Bible. The whole Bible leads up to Christ, and after Christ, it all looks back at what he did to explain what this is all about. It's not just the theme of the whole Bible. This is the fundamental question that every single human being has to answer in their life, and it's always been this way. Clearly, since Jesus, it's this way. And even those who have not heard, there is a way in which Christ is approaching them to where they're having to make essentially this same decision. And the people that lived before the cross also were making decisions in a way that look forward to The cross so the bottom line is the fundamental question for every person throughout all of time the one thing that matters the one decision that you make that is by far and away the big one who is Jesus who is he now when we think of that we think of that in terms of salvation He's my Christ. He's my Lord. He's the one who died for me. That's how we think of it as Christians. But what if this question doesn't end with just that? What if this question is not just for unsaved people, who is Jesus, but for saved people? Who is he? Really? Who do you think him to be? And what consequence does that have? All right? So watch this. So Jesus answers, and he says, I am. Now, he doesn't really say I am, and we're going to come back to that. But I want to take this I am, now you understand, this I am is in Greek, and so it's not exactly the Hebrew one, but the bottom line is, he has nonetheless spoken in a way that calls out the Hebrew one. Now, we've looked at I am before, we've looked at the Tetragrammaton, and all this kind of stuff, we're going to look at it again today, because there's a point that we don't connect with it. That is extremely important. So here it goes. Here's the I am. And this is the Tetragrammaton, which is Yahweh. And there is no, okay, Hebrew as is written has no vowel points. You supply them as you read it. Everybody knows what the vowel points are. But the Hebrews don't supply vowel points to this word so that you cannot pronounce it. Yahweh, Yahweh. There's no vowel. So it's Yahweh. Now, the reason why they do that is because they're saying it's too holy of a name. The, the tragedy of that is, as we've done in a sermon before, the tragedy of that is this is the name that he wants on everyone's tongue continually. This is, there are, how many names of God are there? Depends on how you want to count them. You can get to dozens which is the low number, or you can get to over a hundred ways that Jesus reveals who he is. When we say name, we don't mean Kurt. We mean God who is provider, God who is healer, God who is, who is, who is, who is. And he has revealed himself in name after name after name in all of scripture, right? All kinds of ways. But of all the names, of all the ways that he wants to be known, that he has revealed himself, and he wants us to know him, this is the one take all the other names, add them all up, this is what they mean. This is what it comes to. This is the most important name. So again, because we're going to find something in this classic passage about where that name comes from, we're going to take a minute and go through the passage so you can see something in there that we don't always see when we do it. Okay, here we go. One day, now, okay, so remember Moses 2,000 years or 1,500 years before Jesus? He is, uh, he was, there's a, the Hebrews are getting very strong in the land of Egypt where they are slaves. So strong that the Egyptians begin to fear they'll take him over. So they begin to oppress him. Moses' mother, puts him in a little reed boat because they're killing him and she floats it down and the queen finds, she floats it in a way the queen will find, the queen finds and raises Moses for the first 40 years of his life in the courts of Pharaoh who is arguably the most important person in the world okay you might go to the far east and find other people that were pretty important in that region but the, in, the, in the biblical world of this time this is the man and so Moses grows up in that place now The next thing that happens is, is that Moses sees a Hebrew being abused, being beaten by an Egyptian, so he goes and kills the Egyptian. He thinks he's done it secretly, but he hasn't, and so what happens is, is that he has to then run away, so for his life. So now he's been in the wilderness for 40 years. Uh, One day Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. And Moses stared in amazement because though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. Then God called to him from the middle of the bush, Moses, Moses, here I am. Do not come any closer. Take off your sandals. You're standing on holy ground. You're talking with God. Now watch this. I am, the God of your, I am the God of your father. By the way, note the singular. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Now, what's he saying right here? What's being communicated? These ancestors are 400 years before Moses. So what God is saying is, I was, I was with them and now I'm with you. They have died But I didn't. I didn't go anywhere. I was their God in a personal way, and 400 years later, I'm your God in a personal way. Same God. I don't die. That's what's being communicated. But now, watch what he says. And this is where we're getting to the deeper thing I want us to see. Then the Lord told him, "Watch this. I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers." And I am aware of their suffering. I see what's happening. I hear how you're responding, your cries. And I know what that suffering is. I see, I hear, and I know. Keep that in mind. So I've come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians. Now this is I see, hear, and know. And what's number four? I'm going to respond. I'm going to do something. So I've come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. They are slaves in a land. And God is saying, essentially, he's saying, and he's been saying, he's saying it to Moses, and he says it to us too, as is said in, I think, probably the most quoted scripture when you're praying for somebody. In all of the Bible. Anybody know what it might be? For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. "They are plans for good and not for disaster to give you a future and a hope. This is who God is. I see what's happening to you. I hear your cries. I know I can feel in my own being your suffering. And I'm going to do something about it. And it's going to take you to someplace beautiful. Because that's what I do. Got it? All right. Look, the cry of the people has reached me, see, here. And I've seen how harshly the Egyptians abused them. Now go, for I'm sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people out of Egypt. I know the pain. I'm going to do something about it. All right. But Moses protested, if I go, to the people of Israel and tell them, the God of your ancestors is said to be, they will ask you, what's his name? And again, they're not asking for his name like Bob. They're going to ask, who is this God? And he's, his answer is, then what should I tell them? And God's answer is, God replied to Moses, I am who I am. Now, I want to say something. That's a terrible answer. <laughs> On one level, that's a horrible answer. Really. Tell, who's going to send me? Me. <laughs> Well, I gotta tell them who they so that they'll know who you are. Okay, tell them it's me. (laughs) Well, who are you? Well, he's not saying me, is he? There's a Hebrew word for me. He doesn't use the Hebrew word for me. He uses the Hebrew words for I am. And he's telling them who he is in his answer. This is his name. I am. I am has sent me, God also said to Moses, say to this people, Yahweh, which is the word I am again, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So he's telling them, tell them the same God that was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is the same God who's coming to them now. The promises I gave to him are coming to be now because the God who made them then is the God who's fulfilling them now. Got it? Okay. Now. In this, we see that I am Yahweh, right? And Yahweh essentially means God's was and is and always will be. And that's how we normally think of it. When when God says I am and we speak of Yahweh, I am, what does that mean to us? It means he's here. That's what it means to us. But I want to suggest to you that he actually means something much more than just that. Even though this doesn't really get it, I mean he's eternally present. But now, how is he present? You do understand that God could be there and see the pain you were going through and hear your cries and even know how much it's hurting you and be unable to do anything about it. <laughs> he could be just there. He's not saying, I'm just there. I'm the God who does stuff. I'm the God who responds to cries. I'm the God who sees exactly what you are going through. Not 2,000 years ago with Abraham. Not 1,500 years ago with Moses. But Sunday, July 8th, 10-something or 11.07 in the morning with you right now. And here's who he is. I am the God who sees our difficulties, hears our cries, knows our suffering in himself. Think about this. Jesus is God knowing our suffering, right? Taking upon himself, in himself, so that he can say, if anybody wants to know whether or not God really knows what you're going through, because that's the question, right? I know you see it. I know you hear it, but do you really know? And what he says is, I know more than you know. (laughs) I know something that's greater than what even you know. I know. Because I went through the cross. And he doesn't just sit there. He does something about it. He is the God who responds. Now, this is the name. It's not just I am as in there. It's I am as in I see, I hear, I know, and I do. This is the name that God says, this is my eternal name, my name to remember for all generations. See it? When you say I am, you're supposed to be saying something more than he's just there. You're supposed to be saying he knows exactly what you're going through, he hears your cries about it, he knows what it feels like in his own self, and because of that he's going to respond in some fashion. Got it? That's what we supposed to that's what we're supposed to be saying. So what we're really asking, and again this is sees our difficulty, hears our cries, knows our suffering, but what we're really asking when we do that is, the question for every person is, who is Jesus? Now again, I've already said, that I don't know how many unsafe people there are here today. If you are not, don't know Jesus yet, that's, I love having you here. It's fantastic. Please come and talk to me. But bottom line, what I'm saying right now is most of the people in this room are Christians. And what I want to say, this is not a sermon. Not, this sermon is not for somebody that doesn't know him. This is for those of us who do. And what I want to suggest to you is that question is as valid for you today as it is for any person that doesn't know him today. Who is he really? Who do you know him to be? Now watch why this is so important. Here come these guards, and we could say to these guards, do they really know, are they really making a choice? Are they under orders and they've been told he's a bad guy and they're just beating up another prisoner, right? So I, I wouldn't necessarily say these guys are making a huge choice, but I would call out something that is extraordinary here. We have been saying that God knows the suffering in his own being, And how does he know it? Because of what he endured in the lead up to and including the cross. In other words, the way that he knows your suffering is because he too was beaten, oppressed, afflicted. And the incredible moment about this moment is, this is where God is showing us that he cares about you. And the way that he shows us that he cares about you is there's these people that are beating him mercilessly. And he's telling those people that are beating him mercilessly, I see your plight. I hear your cries. I know what you're going through. And I know it because of what I'm going through by your hand. (laughs) Do you see the extraordinary moment that's taking place right here? We say that Jesus is dying for the very people that put him on the cross. But it's even deeper than that. Jesus is suffering at the hands of people to show them that he knows they're suffering. <laughs> wow, right? Now it gets better. Here's the elders, right? Are they asking a sincere question when they ask him, who are you? Are you the Messiah? Are they asking him a sincere question? We know whether or not by the way that it progresses, right? But you have to understand something. It's not that Jesus didn't try and reach him. Because there is one of their member, Nicodemus, who comes to Jesus at night. He's a man for the Pharisees named Nicodemus, ruler of the Jews. And he comes to him at night and says, Rabbi, we, doesn't say me, doesn't say a couple of us, He says, we know. Now, maybe he's not speaking for every single person, but here's what he is speaking to. The people that are in the circles that he walks in know that there's something about this Jesus guy that's different because all the other people that have called themselves Christ call themselves Christ, and that's the end of it. Jesus is out there healing people, delivering people. Jesus is out there doing extraordinary things. And so he says, we know that you've come from God as a teacher, for no one can perform these signs you do unless God were with him. Now here's what's being said. The people who are now at the end of his life rejecting him have had to do so by denying their logic, the healings, the miracles. How are these happening if it's not God? Deliverances? How's that happening if it's not God? They're denying what their heart's telling them. Because here's Nicodemus being one of the honest brokers of what's happening and saying, I don't get this. And he doesn't get it. But he's going, but something's happening. Something's going on in me and I'm trying to get to the bottom of it. So he's being honest about what is happening in his heart. And they're also denying the facts. Not just the healing and those kind of facts, but all the biblical facts. That just line up, uh, you know, and this is not something these religious leaders don't know. They know of them well. And if they would have just taken the time to see whether or not this guy fulfills the messianic prophecies, and what they would have seen was, as he does to a degree, that is unexplainable any other way than that he actually is the Messiah. The chances are astronomical. They've been weighed, and they're in the trillions and trillions and trillions. That there's just, he fulfills them. Okay. So, what we're really saying about these people that are questioning right now, the religious leaders is, they're denying his attempts to help them. (laughs) He's trying to reach out and touch them, touch their heart and get them to make a different choice. He's trying. Even in this moment where he's being questioned by them, watch how he tries. Are you the Messiah? Look, if I tell you, you won't believe me. What does that mean? What is that saying? I can say yes, and you're not going to believe me. So I've done even something more clever than that. I've been asking you questions. You come to me and say things, and I ask you questions that if you would take the time to try and answer them honestly, it would cause you to come to a conclusion, which is something's going on here that I need to back off. I need to see that something else is happening. But if I ask you questions, you don't answer me anymore. Remember how they did that? They were afraid to ask him any more questions (laughs) because he kept busting them. Now, this is actually where Jesus answers it, by the way. You want to know the time where Jesus says most clearly who he is? Here it is. Right here. It's not when he says, I am. It's when he says, from now on, the Son of Man is going to be seated in power at the right hand of God. (laughs) (laughs) This is the moment where he's saying, you want to know who I am? I'm going to tell you. I'm the one that's at the right hand of God. Who is that? The Messiah. They've asked to see the Messiah, and he's saying, yes. As clearly, as forcefully, as straightforwardly as you possibly can. So you're claiming to be a son of God? (laughs) Yeah. Why don't you examine it? (laughs) Why don't you take a moment to see whether or not my claim is true? But the way that they ask is not a real question, is it? It's an accusation. And so Jesus does what he always does. He never, watch this, he never actually gives them reason to kill him. Every time they try and get him into that little corner, he always does it in a way where he answers, but he doesn't answer in a way that you couldn't prevaricate, that you couldn't move, that you couldn't work with. You see, what he says is, you say that I am. You're the one that's saying it. That's what he's saying. There are commentators that will translate this way. I'm not crazy about it, but I want you to see it. I am what you say that I am. So he's saying, you're asking me if I'm Messiah. You're telling me that I'm the Son of God. Yes, I am what you're saying that I am. But that's not really the sense of it. See, Jesus is being much more, he's saying, you're the one that's saying I'm the Son of Man. What he's doing is he's saying, you have to make a decision. Remember what our big question is in all of time? Who is Jesus? What he's doing is he's saying, I'm not going to tell you, even though I've told you, but I'm not going to do that because you're not asking a question A and B because I actually want you to process what your answer is in hopes that I might not do exactly what you're doing, which is to choose against me, to reject the help that I am literally giving you right now. Anybody ever done that? Anybody ever had the Lord, you know, you knew you were supposed to trust him, but, you know, you got a little nervous, you got a little anxious, you got a little, and so you just took care of things to make sure that it turned out because, you know, just in case God didn't quite see that one or hear that cry, you know, you'd help him along. There's nothing wrong, there's nothing wrong with doing what you're supposed to do. There's everything wrong with doing what you want to do if it's at odds with what he wants you to do you say that I am why do we need other witnesses we are self affirmed it. okay so we're back to this question who is jesus now we're really going to move this now to why this is important for christians here's a great story Jesus approached Jericho, a blind beggar was sitting beside the road. He heard the noise of a crowd going past, and he asked what was happening. He told him it was Jesus of Nazareth. He began shouting, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Look what the people do. (laughs) It just blows me away. Be quiet, the people yelled at him. But he only shouted louder, Son of David, have mercy on me. When Jesus heard him, he stopped and ordered that man be brought to him. As the man came near, Jesus asked him, What do you want me to do for you? Every time you cry out to the Lord, here's what the Lord is saying back to you. What do you want me to do? You're crying out to him and he's saying, what do you want me to do? He wants you to think about what you're asking him. And the reason why is because it has everything to do with who you know him to be or not. And if it's something that you should have known, but you couldn't, you got a moment right here by processing it properly to where you'll come to know Jesus more. What do you want me to do for you? Now, I love this guy. I want to see. This is the best answer that Jesus gives in all of scripture in my mind. Okay, receive your sight. (laughs) Look at the way it's said. All right, receive your sight. What do you want me to do for you? I want to see. All right. That's what you want here. There you go. Right? What do you want? This. Now, is it your heart wanting it? Is it something you want that you know the Lord doesn't necessarily want for you? Good luck with that. But have you sought him? Is it a is depression? It is it something where you're crying out to him? Is it something where you're asking him for deliverance? Is it something where you're crying out to him in a way that he can say, All right. <laughs> You want that? Okay, great. I'd love to give that to you. He wants us to ask because when he answers, then we come to know him so that the next time we know him even more. All right, receive your sight. Instantly, the man could see. Jesus is always asking us, What do you want? The real question behind that is, Who do you think I am? What do you think? Now watch this. Your faith has healed Do you. you realize, we've done this before, I've actually shown you this before. Every single time that Jesus does a healing where it's not about him proving something to the religious leaders. In other words, is it, is it okay to heal somebody on the Sabbath? They don't answer, you know, because it's kind of cruel because this guy's got this withered hand you know what, heck with you guys, here, extend your thing, or take up your cot and walk, or whatever. Those times when he's proving something to the religious leaders, he doesn't say this. But every other time there's a description of the healing, Jesus calls out the fact that the person being healed had faith. Right now, let me say something. Some of you come from faith backgrounds, faith doctrine backgrounds, if you know what that means. If you don't know what it means, just forget what I'm saying right now. But if you come from a faith doctrine background, here's the key variable between what I'm saying right now and what faith is. Faith doctrine will say, you've got to have faith in faith. You've got to have enough faith in order to get what you want. That is nonsense. It is a lie. It is taking your eyes off the ball. It's putting your attention in the wrong place. Here's what you have to have faith in. The person of Jesus Do you know him? Do you really know him? If you will engage these moments in the way that Christ is having you engage, you will discover that you think you know him. And no matter how much you do, you don't. But he will do in a way that you will. Did that make sense? Your faith has healed you. Look what this guy does just to show his faith. As he, began, he was shouting, Jesus, son of David, be quiet, they yell, but that just makes him yell that. Who was he yelling for? Who was Jesus in his heart? Here's who he was, the person that could heal him. <laughs> I, you know, he didn't have to know a whole lot else. What he knew was, you're the one that can heal me, and nobody what he says, he doesn't say, heal me. Later on he does. But here's what he says at the beginning. Have mercy on me. You see what he's done? He's even beyond just believing that he's the healer. He's not saying, heal me, heal me, heal me. What he's saying is, is have mercy on me. Now that's a moment that we can do too. We know that he sees our problems. We know that he hears our cries. But we're not entirely sure that he's going to respond. And what's happening right here in this moment is, this is a guy who's saying, have mercy on me. Can I tell you something? Here's a really good prayer of faith. Jesus, have mercy on me. I'll give you an even better one. This is my, this is the most common prayer that I pray. By far. Help. (laughs) All the time. I don't think there's a day that goes by that I don't say that and that I don't say that multiple times. God, help me. Jesus, help me. Help me. By the way, I'm in good company. Beth Moore says the same thing. Help. Because here's what I'm doing I trust him. I know that he hears. I know that he sees. I know that he can do. I know that he knows. And so, what I'm asking for is him to just help. (laughs) I know you help. He likes that. Let me show you how deep this goes. This spirit that we're talking about, of needing to know Him. Jesus is with His disciples, and He comes to Him. and He says this question that we're talking about—the whole sermon: "Who is Jesus? Who do people, other people, say that I am?" Oh well, you know, some John the Baptist, some Elijah, some Jeremiah, some one of the other prophets. Great. All right. Now that we've got past that, who do you say that I am? Has everybody figured out that I I think I love John the very most. How could you not love John the most, right? But I adore Peter. I am so thankful to God for having a Peter out there with all of his flaws, but with all of these moments too. Because it's Peter who gets it and says, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, blessed are you. Blessed are you, Simon or Jonah. Flesh and blood didn't reveal this. This wasn't told you by somebody else and you didn't figure it out. You know where it came from, Peter? It came from a revelation from my father to you. He spoke to your heart. Instead of pushing it away, you received it. And you said yes and amen to it. You received what he was revealing. Now watch this. This is where the Catholic Church... You know, we can love our Catholic brothers and sisters, but this is where they make a mistake, right? Because what they say is, is you're Peter and on this rock, I'm going to build my church, meaning Peter. That's a complete misunderstanding. You are this small little rock, Petros, and on this Petra, which is huge, huge, huge thing. So what he's saying is, you're just a person, Peter, but upon what just happened to you, revelation, that's how I'm going to build my church. We had an example of it in worship today. That was revelation. That was somebody who was trying to follow the Lord, who heard what was going on. They thought they'd responded properly. I loved, I just loved that God had this moment where he said, I don't think I got that right. I think this is what he meant to do. And we all got to experience a moment where we're doing exactly this, revelation. God speaks, we follow. I tell you, you're repeating on this rock, I'm going to build my church, and the gates of hell won't prevail against this stuff. <laughs> Revelation: Nothing can beat that. That's the trump card of all Trump cards. Other people can tell you that Jesus is the healer. But if it isn't true to you, he's not going to be your healer. Now he could be, you understand that, right? Let's be clear, and he is the healer nonetheless, whether you think he is or not, he is. But if you don't think that he's your healer, what's being said in these verses is, and again, this is not faith in faith, but this is knowing who Jesus is. If you really don't know that he's the healer, if you don't think that he is, if you're really not crying out to him, if you're not saying, have mercy on me, because I know that you can heal, and I know that you see this, and I know that you feel this, and I know that you care about me, this is that identity thing that that Bill brought up, which is what I thought we were on, right? This is knowing who you are, right? Right? And who are you? Beloved. Loved by him. He cares. He sees. He hears. He knows. And he's going to respond. And if you don't know that, Jesus over and over said, your faith has made you well. Now, I'm not saying the person began to heal because they didn't have enough faith. That's, again, where you take a truth and you twist its meaning and you twist it to where it becomes something that's abomination, right? But what it does mean is we actually have to know who Jesus is. It's important, particularly if you could have and should have. I just want to say something, and I want to just, God, help me get these words out right. This is extremely important. I've said this a million times, but I don't know if we can ever really get it. God's grace is abounding, never ending. But if he has brought you to a place to where you should have understood something, but you were not engaged with him so that you never understood it, there will be a consequence for that. If you should have known that Jesus was the healer and you're in a moment where you need him to be your healer, and you really don't believe that he's the healer, but you could and should have known that, there's a consequence to that. It's not the abomination of saying, well, you just didn't have enough faith to be healed, as if it was some transactional. God is not the great slot machine in the sky. If I put in enough faith, he has to act. That's exactly how faith people will talk about him. That is a lie from the pit of hell. It has nothing to do with the character and the nature of God. It's just a falsehood. But here's what is true. Your faith has made you well. Do you know him? Do you know who Jesus really is? Because when you do, you appropriate, as was said in Bill's word, you quit playing with the paper and you take the stuff out of the box that was the actual gift. Are we okay here? This is an important moment Because this is the thing I think that the American church will have as its most difficult thing, things that we should have known, and when the attack comes and when the pressure comes, we won't. And so we don't access Jesus in the fullness of who he actually is. And there's a thing that happens in there. Now, I'm never going to go any deeper than saying it that way because by his grace and his strong right arm, help, I believe, help my unbelief. Have mercy on me. I should have known I didn't. You see it? But that can't become an excuse for not trying to find him, not trying to know him, not trying to get deeper in him. You see it? The question for every person throughout time, including Christians, is who is Jesus? And when you know who he is, as he's revealed himself to you, I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound and will have been bound. It's that verb that plays two ways, and you cannot translate it one way or the other. It means both things. It means whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, but whatever you bind on earth is the thing that has already been bound in heaven. By revelation, you bound it. See that? It was already bound, but he gave you revelation, and so you binded it. And in the same way, whatever you earth shall be loosed, which is still the way I just said it, puts it all there, but there's also... You see what I'm saying? You see what this is saying right here? There's a role that you have. You can't just emphasize the other meaning of it. Okay, by revelation, I know what it is I'm supposed to loosen, and bind. Yes, that's exactly correct. But the point is he's given you authority. And what he is also saying in that verse is what you bind will be bound. That is also in play. And we have to live in the truth of both of those things. Is that too confusing? We have to live in the truth that God is wanting you to do only what he has revealed for you to do, but that you have the authority to bind and loose. You have it, which is why we need to know who he is. James and John walking along in a town that they have rejected, that has rejected them. Shall we call down fire on them? You don't know who you are. You don't know who I am. You don't know nothing. That's ridiculous. We need to be lined up with him. The most important thing that's going on in every person's life in this church right now, in the Holy American Church, and we are at a crisis point on this because the worm is turning. I told you a long time ago, I felt like the, the hand of the Lord had come off to a degree so that people would repent. And the thing that we have to repent about is this what was said in that word. How serious are you getting about your faith? How serious are you getting about your relationship with God? How much, how big a factor is that in church? Do you come to church and that's checking the box off and then you live a life? Or have you become Christ-centered in that move book we keep looking at? Have you become the kind of person where every decision you make is because God has led you to make that decision and you don't make decisions unless God has led you to make them? Because there's just no other way to live life than to let God do everything. This is the thing that keeps people in a culture that is growing cold, in a culture that is going very much the other direction. Very, 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 very much. And you guys, right now, we sit here, and we have a pretty good demographic overall in the church. We're maybe a little skewing older today. But normally, we have a pretty good, nice bell curve on our demographic. But if you'll look at what millennials believe in Christ, about Christ, and theologically, we have... The depths of the issue that is coming to this country is, is unfathomable. I am not talking about politics right and left. I will say and have said and will continue to say for a long time this is a church that has liberals in it and progressives in it and, I mean, and progressives and conservatives and we need to be learning from each other. That's how we get deeper. There's things that God are trying to say through people who are of one ilk and things that God is trying to say from people that are the other ilk and this is who we have to be and we have to contend for it, and I think maybe I've made a mistake in the recent past on not doing some forums that I think we should have done, and so I think that that has hurt us in that progressives don't feel they have a voice here, when in fact there's a whole lot of people in here that agree with that, and we need to get to where we're stone sharpening stone and iron sharpening iron. We need to be doing this, so none of these comments are about politics whatsoever. This is simply about, do you believe that the Bible is actually God's in-breathed word? And are you lining yourself up to it, or are you causing it to line up to you? If we're doing the latter, then we've made a God of our own image, and of course we like him. But he will be who you want him to be, and that is not him. And it won't work. And you'll come to an end of yourself, and you'll come to a place of repentance where you decide, you know what, I need to actually line myself up with Scripture. That's what's true. That's what God has placed in the world to see. Now, by the way, when I say that, I want to say something. We have an extraordinary group of millennials in our church, just a a phenomenal group of people here. And I just, you know, the 20s, I'm loving what's happening, and I love the heart of it and everything else. You're gonna see more and more and more 20s being featured because they got the word of God in them and they're saying incredible things. So this isn't a blanket assessment against any people group. That's one of the things we're learning in in the millennial age that we're in. You can't stereotype. Everybody's different off off of the mean, right? Stereotypes and averages are not where it's at. Have I twisted myself around the branch enough for this? Okay. I really want us to be incredibly serious about Jesus. I want us to come to know who he is, and I want us to line our lives up to who he is. This is what needs to happen. If you're going to survive, if you're going to make it through well, if you're going to be fully engaged, fully doing the things that God is leading, you're going to do it one way and one way only. Do what he says. Get lined up to what he's doing. Get lined up to what he said in his scripture. With that in mind, we must know who Jesus truly is at every moment, in every way. He is, I am. What does that mean? He sees our difficulties. He hears our cries. He knows our suffering. I should have added a fourth on there. And he responds. With that in mind now, I told you in the beginning I wanted you to think about your biggest problem. I want you to close your eyes now and I want you to bring that big problem back and put it before you but now I want you to bring Jesus into the picture of the I am the one who sees the one who hears the one who knows and the one who is going to respond do you know him? Take this moment and let him invade you. Absolutely pickle you. Come through you and take over every cell and take every thought captive. The creator of all of the universe sees exactly what's going on in you, knows exactly what your cries are, here's exactly what your cries are, knows your pain in his own self. And he is the God who is the great I am, who is responding now just like he has for thousands of years. Now I want you to take that step back again and see that when you start getting your focus on Christ, keeping your eyes closed, but when you start putting that focus on Christ, what happens to your worry? What happens to your anxiety? What happens to your concern? What happens to your fear? What happens to your wondering about what might happen? Do you see how it just goes away? (laughs) In the light? It just goes away. Go ahead and open your eyes. So let's all agree that we're going to remember this moment at all times and always, no matter what, which is to say, we're going to remember that I am is always with us. The one who sees, the one who hears, the one who knows, and the one who responds. Lord, in Jesus' holy and precious name, I want to thank you for a a fun sermon. There was some heavy in there but there's a fun sermon. One that just that just the Einstein said that I know a thing is true because it's beautiful and you've just shown us something beautiful. Simple, elegant. All we need to do at every moment in our lives is to remember I am is right there with us, the one who sees, the one who hears, the one who knows and the one who responds. And so in Jesus most miraculous name in the heart of God that you have Heavenly Father and Holy Spirit and Jesus my Savior. Thank you. Thank you and thank you again. And now reach down in front of you, would you, and lift this cup. The bottom cup has the bread in it, the body. This is the life that we have been living, and it turns out that by not living in the fullness of the great I am, we've broken ourselves, made decisions, done things out of fear and anxiety, not followed, but tried to protect ourselves, and sometimes worse. And so we put our finger in there to say we understand that we've broken our lives, but we lift this cup up and we have behind it the cross. The place where Jesus took all of those decisions upon himself and completely removed them from us. The consequences of them. On that cross, Jesus healed us, took every, everything away. So in Jesus' name, we take this to be cleansed, To be healed. Take Christ. If you don't know him, by the way, this is your moment. Take Christ into your life right now. Take communion and be one with him. Take this cup together. And now in Jesus' most beautiful and spectacular name, we lift up this blood and the life is in the blood. There is this beautiful life that you have already done everything needed for us to move into it. Now it's just our choice. Do we know who Jesus really is? And so we take this cup saying, I believe, help my unbelief. And move me in deeper and closer. (coughs) Infinitely more intimately. In Jesus' name, take this cup together. Thank you Lord Thank you Lord I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did It's fun to talk about God The way that he really is You know it's just awesome Ushers could you